I'm so grateful to Stephen Langton, Rabbi Nathan and Robert Stephanus. No, they're not the new front three for Liverpool or West Ham. As far as we know, they are the three men who gave us chapters and verses in the Old and New Testament. It's so helpful to be able to refer to a passage of scripture easily when we're studying the Bible on our own or together. But sometimes those chapter breaks, those verse separations get in our way. Sometimes they interrupt the train of thought that the writer intended. And that can be the case here. Over the last couple of weeks, Phil and David have taken us through Romans chapter 8. David reminded us that sometimes the book of Romans is seen as a glorious mountain range. And within that range, Romans 8 is like Everest. And Romans 8, 28 and following about the love of God are like the summit of Everest, the pinnacle. The challenge is that when we turn to chapter 9, does that mean it's all downhill? Well, to coin a phrase of Paul's, by no means. What chapter 8 does for us is it gives us this panoramic view of the character and love of God. It reminds us who our Heavenly Father truly is. And that's so important when we turn to chapter 9. As Paul begins to unpack tricky subjects like Israel and election and justice and mercy. And that's what we're going to try and do this morning. Chapter 9 opens with Paul laying down eight promises of God, eight ways that God declared to Israel that they were his people. Paul does that and yet has pain because he's aware that in the church in Rome, though there are some Jews who've come to believe, most of the Roman Christians are Gentiles. And Paul has this question. How have the Jews missed their inheritance in God? He feels the pain for his nation. He feels the pain of a mother or father when their children drift away from God. He feels some of the pain that God feels about the prodigals who are yet to return home. So why have Paul's people in the main missed the love of God? Well, the first question is, did God's promise fail? Did God get it wrong? And of course, the answer to that is no. As we read on through chapter 9, we discover that God's promise is true for Israel, but not everybody born in Israel. Not everybody who is geographically or genetically a Jew necessarily owns that promise. See, Paul is reminding us that it is always about, it has always been about faith. He does that by reminding his first readers and reminding us of the promise of God to Abraham and Sarah, to Isaac and Rebekah. He reminds us that people came into relationship with God, not through following the law, but through the promise and the sovereign grace of God. It was God who opened up Sarah's womb for Isaac. 
It was God who opened up Rebekah's room for Esau and Jacob. What is more, God reversed for Jacob and for Esau the natural order. Though Esau was born first, the promise was to Jacob. For Abraham and Sarah, although Abraham had two sons, Ishmael and Isaac, only one is the child of promise. Yes, Moses was also part of the promise. Yes, Moses brought the law. But the law was always intended to remind the people of their dependence on the promise. The Jews were never saved by keeping the law. No, they were saved by remembering that Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness. And where does that righteousness come from? That righteousness comes from God. Ultimately, that righteousness comes from the cross. It has always been about faith. And so therefore, yes, those who miss the promise do miss because they become dependent on their own righteousness. They've become dependent on the law. It's not that God's promise has failed. It's that the people have not been standing on that promise. They've been standing on their own religious observance. And when the religious encountered Christ, they couldn't receive him because they were blinded by their sacred acts, their festivals, their texts. They missed the promise of God right in front of them. But of course, that only answers one question. If God's choice has not changed, if God's promise has not failed, if God is sovereign and is the one who chooses, well, how is that fair? If God chooses some but not others, Inside us, one of two things happens. Either our pride rises up. My pride rises up. As a young child, I learned to say, that's not fair, pretty quickly. But sometimes it's not my pride that rises up. It's my pain. Because I love people, and what if God's not chosen them? What if God's not chosen some of my family, or my friends, or my neighbours, or my colleagues? I may not be shouting, that's not fair. I might just be whispering, God, that doesn't feel fair. So the bigger question is, is God fair? Is God just? How do we answer that question? Well, it's a tough one. But let's deal with my pain first. It's like Paul's pain. How do I handle the painful phrase, that's not fair? Well, I remember where I stand. I stand on the mountaintop of Romans 8. I stand with this panoramic view of God's love and God's grace and God's mercy. God's fairness, God's love speaks into my pain and softens its edges. I can, as I experience the love of God, as I see the love of God spread out before me on the cross, I can begin to say with confidence the words of the psalmist when he says, my God will judge with equity, with 
fairness. But Paul also challenges my pride. As we read on in Romans 9, we read this phrase, Can the pot speak to the potter? Paul is using Old Testament imagery. You find it in prophets like Jeremiah. Paul is reminding us that we can be proud. That we can often shake our fists at God. I can shout at God. I can complain to God because I forget who I am and who God is. If I'm not careful, I can be like those friends of Job who are full of great advice from human wisdom. Forgetting that we are the created, not the creator. I am not God. Whatever I might think. And you know what? That's a good thing. Because if God is not responsible for justice, if God is not responsible for making the choice, how would we bring justice? How would we make the choice? In my self-righteous pride, I might want to put myself in the place of God, but do I really? Do I really want to rely on self-righteousness? You see, if I rely on self-righteousness, I end up back in religion. I end up back in works. I step away from grace. Suddenly, my position before God is based on what I do, on whether I'm good enough, whether my performance today has been sufficient. Have I been nice enough, loving enough, kind enough, generous enough? Have I cared for enough people? Have I done enough good things? And how will I know? Because equally self-righteousness, that pride, that challenge to God's choice, suddenly makes me the judge. And how is that justice? Because suddenly it's relative. If, I, if I'm the judge, then what if I get that judgment wrong? What if you disagree with me? What if your judgment is different to my judgment? What if your line is different to my line? What if being good enough for me actually isn't good enough for you? You see, if I'm not careful, if I deny God the right to be God, if I deny God the right to be sovereign and to make the choice, I'm left on my own righteousness, on my own acts, on my own view of justice. And relative justice is no justice at all. Justice based on my imperfection. Justice based on my failings. Justice based on my preferences is not justice. And righteousness based on my acts, on my good works, is not righteousness. And so suddenly I'm lost. But if God is the one who chooses, if God, whose character is displayed to me on the cross, whose character is displayed to me through the love of a heavenly father, then that's a different story. And we'll see in a few moments why that is such good news for us today. So why is it such good news for me, for you, for us today, that God is the one who chooses. 
that it's the sovereign grace of God which makes a way for us. Why is that so key? Well, it's key because Paul has made it clear that if we rely on geography or genetics, we're always asking the question, was I born in the right place? Was I born to the right family? If, if we're dependent on self-righteousness, we're always asking, am I good enough? Self-righteousness will always lead to religion, our desperate attempt to get to God. But if we are dependent on God's sovereign grace, everything changes. It changes because God's sovereign grace does exactly what it says on the tin. Its origin is in God. Scripture is clear. I was dead in my sin, but God made me alive in Christ. Christ died for me before I'd even thought about him. Of course, he died for me before I'd even been born. God reached out for me long before I reached out to him. And God's grace is freely given. It's a gift. I can't earn the grace of God. No, God's grace is given to me. Grace is about receiving what I do not deserve and what I could not earn. And I'm so thankful for that. You see, if my salvation, if my relationship with God is dependent on me, on my choice, on my good works, I'm always going to be wondering, am I secure? Am I saved? Does God love me? But if all of that is dependent on God who does not change. If my relationship with God is dependent on the gift of grace which I received from him, which he will never take away, then I am beautifully secure. I can rejoice. I can say, even in my darkest moments, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I can say the joy of the Lord is my strength. Because my relationship with God is secure in the very character of God, the choice of God, the grace of God. What is more, I know that justice is secure. Justice is not dependent on me. It's dependent on the righteous judge who will always judge with equity. In these days, especially events we've seen over the last few weeks, we're desperate for justice. We're desperate for fairness. Knowing that God is just and God does not change tells us that we can actively work for justice now, and we should do. But also that there will come a day when God will judge the living and the dead with fairness. Now we know the grace of God is not cheap. Does it matter what I do? Of course it does. Of course it matters how I handle myself, how I speak, how I speak to others, how I treat others, how I care for others, how I fight for justice. Of course those things matter, but my faith is not dependent on those things. Rather, those activities, those righteous acts, if you like, will spring out of my relationship with God. And the foundation of that relationship is God's sovereign choice. What wonderful news. We are secure in God and God's justice is secure. 
because both those things are not dependent on geography or genetics or self-righteousness. No, they're dependent. Their foundation is the promise of God and God does not change. But before we finish, maybe you're thinking, but Simon, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that love yet. Well, let's take a peek from Romans 9 into Romans 10. Well, we can read this. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, Anyone who believes in him, in Christ, in this perfect demonstration of the love of God on the cross, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. What a glorious promise we have. And if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and only Jesus is Lord, of our lives. The promise of a sovereign God is that we will be saved. And the heart of our God is that no one should perish. And the truth about our God is that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Even today, you can grab hold of that promise so why not come to him? Why not seek him? You will discover that God is seeking you.